hello and welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack, and this week I'm speaking to Emmanuel Vaughan Lee, the executive editor and filmmaker at Emergence Magazine. Emergence launched earlier this year as an online magazine publishing four issues per year and a selection of those digital stories are then used as the basis for a beautiful thick print magazine that's published once a year. Everything they do revolves around our relationship with the natural world and in this conversation Emmanuel explains how he came to be editing a magazine that operates at the meeting place of ecology, culture and spirituality and why it was always essential to the project that there should be a print output as well as all the digital content they're releasing online. I was really impressed when I first picked up Emergence and that's even more true now I've heard him explaining the creative process they go through. They do a fantastic job of translating their multimedia work into a printed magazine that feels absolutely original. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Emmanuel Vaughan Lee from Emergence. Hey, Emmanuel, thank you so much for coming over. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you, Stephen. Thanks for having me. So you are the, well, interestingly, on the masthead, the executive editor and filmmaker of this magazine, which gives us a clue there's something a little bit different going on from the start. So maybe tell us a little bit about what you're doing on this magazine. So as the masthead indicates, my background is actually as a filmmaker. Uh, 15 years making documentary films and also experimenting with how to create multimedia on stories on an online platform. So my role at the magazine is both one of the filmmakers contributing stories and also as the executive editor overseeing the editorial vision of the publication. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, the you know, origin story behind the magazine is an extension of the work that I and other members of the creative team have been exploring through film. And thinking of the medium of film as a central part of what we're doing at the magazine so when we thought you know should we start a magazine we said you know well we want film to be a vital part of what we're doing it's grown and as you know we have a print edition now and are working with very traditional forms of how to share stories but film and it's at the core of emergence is still a key part of who we are and so I guess it's relevant then that you're based in California. I, I hear there are quite a few filmmakers in California. <laughs> well, I think there are filmmakers everywhere now. <laughs> Documentary film especially has had this incredible renaissance. And we're not obviously the only publication who are working with this as a, as a way to share stories. But yeah, we're based in Northern California. We live in a, and work in a little uh, village about an hour north of San Francisco, right on the bay, uh, Tomales Bay near Pacific Ocean. And um, that location is very much... Uh, vital to our creative ethos. We're in the midst of a beautiful national park. And as you maybe know a little bit from exploring what we do editorially at the magazine, a lot of what we're trying to do is talk about how we want to relate to the natural world. So where we live is a, is a defining factor of who we are as a publication. So let's get into that because the, in the magazine, um, you, you can self-describe it um, as innovative stories that explore the threads connecting ecology, culture and spirituality, which, I mean, I think that that is at once very broad, but also really quite specific. Um, and we can talk a bit about some of the individual stories later, but what was it that first put you onto this track? What, what made you want to explore these kind of stories? These are the kind of stories that I, as a filmmaker, and many of the contributors that we're working with and our core creative team have actually been telling for many years. Um, 
you know, which is how can we think about our relationship with the natural world as something that is not separate from us? You know, how we develop culture and have done since the beginning of, you know, uh, time has been uh, very much rooted in how we relate to our ecology, you know, and how we relate to our natural world, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, and how we think of what meaning is, you know, if we think about spirit and spirituality as something where we draw meaning from our relationship to culture and, and uh, everything that entails, that's always been there in, in, the, in our history. Uh, but in the last, you know, hundred years especially, and obviously, more, you know, goes back much further, but we've become kind of separated from how we think about culture and ecology and what gives us meaning. And we've fragmented those out to such a point where we can look at our rela- the natural world and say that is something that is separate from us. And that allows us to then have a relationship with it on a cultural and societal level that becomes exploitative. And so a lot of the stories that I was drawn to as a filmmaker were trying to think about how can we explore both the historical situation of how we got to this place and how we can, again, try to reconnect how we think about what defines us as human beings from a cultural perspective, where we draw meaning from, and how the ecology that surrounds us on a local or global level is, is fundamental to creating a viable, sustainable, healthy human existence. And so the magazine grew out of that you know 15-year journey that I went through as a filmmaker and it's been really exciting to actually define that in a more specific way as the editorial guiding principle of what we want to do. And I guess it's, I mean, the way that you're talking about it is not at all surprising that a lot of this magazine feels to me quite cinematic. So it's operating on very, very different levels. There'll be a story which zooms right down into the, the micro um, scale. There's a, I think one of the first pieces um, is a piece about a woman who is uh, planting Cherokee pole beans in her garden and thinking about the cultural legacy of this vegetable and where it came from and, and what that means. So really, really tight focus on her personal experience. And then you'll get something that zooms right out to a global scale so there's amazing photography from the Apollo 8 mission that you've you've got in there is that a a deliberate desire on your part to be operating on these two different levels uh yes but also each story that we we publish at emergence is very specific so the example you gave which is a beautiful essay by Camille Dungy about uh her own garden and planting these seeds and the legacy of those seeds and her relationship with them and the, the relationship between the culture that is part of those seeds. It's very specific, right, as you said. And this story that, yes, tells a very global perspective of looking at the earth is also very specific. That was an adaptation of a film I directed called Earthrise, and we adapted it for print. But it was a very, very specific story told from the perspective of the three astronauts were the first human beings to leave space. So yes, it offers a global perspective, but it's held within a very specific narrative. And, and that's something that we are very uh, adamant about editorially. We want each story to be very specific. We do not want uh, rhetoric to float in a way that disconnects you from the root of each story. Because as a storyteller, I believe one of the challenges and opportunities in in crafting stories is 
crafting something that's so specific, that's so personal, maybe to the, to the filmmaker, to the story, uh, to the writer, um, that it feels authentic. It, it doesn't, it, it, it isn't separated from that kind of, you know, granular experience that, that they're offering, yet it is very universal. And that allows us to kind of actually talk about something, about maybe how we want to think about the relationship between food and racism that Camille Dungy does in her story, but it, and on a very vast scale. But you're approaching it through this very intimate, personal lens. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested in the way that you actually go about this as well. because the, So as a magazine maker normally you begin with a story and that story comes from somewhere, but the, you know maybe it's the editors come up with it, or writers pitched it. And then there's a process that you go through in terms of finding someone to write and find someone to maybe draw some illustrations. You've got this whole other layer in here because the, I think it's probably worth saying that um, the print version of this comes out once a year, but you're publishing online four times a year. So you, you, you've got a whole other output that's going on with this. So that, like, how, how does all of this come together? And are you at the beginning thinking, right, how is this going to look in print? Or are you starting out with that, like, okay, we've got this in film and then we're going to figure out how we transition? That's a great question. Uh, so a little bit of both, but mostly what we're thinking about is we're taking a theme for each quarterly issue and we're thinking how can we best explore this theme in a way that reflects our editorial focus and can be as diverse and different than what we might have read or watched or listened to before and then there are some stories that you know like for instance if it's a film we have to think very differently about how we want to translate that from the digital experience to print experience because it's you can't even approach it in any similar way you have to think about what's the essence of this story and how could we take the essence of that story and present it in print in a way which uh, is going to be something you can actually understand in that medium and that isn't trying to just recreate what you did in print with some sort of film strip or some sort of maybe expected way to present it but something very different uh, which is a really wonderful creative challenge so yeah, we try to think, can this potentially you know, translate to print? But first and foremost is, it can we create a complete, cohesive issue that we feel we can get behind editorially? And then from there, we step back. And we say, out of these 15 stories that are part of this online experience, what are the ones we want to translate into print and why? And then we start thinking about how we're going to go about doing that. And so with the, the stuff that's online, you so you, you've got the, the film uh, work, which is the... I mean, how much are you then commissioning stories, like a written story, which is going to live online? Or is that that's kind of more when it comes to the print that you, you transition to that? No, so so far how we've been working, and we're, we're still a relatively new publication. We just have launched our sixth online issue. We just come out with our first print edition. Um, so maybe it'll change in the future. But up until now, you know, we produce about a third of our content in-house. So that is from you know myself and other members of the team working on film and multimedia. We have a, a staff writer who produces usually one, sometimes two stories in an issue. Maybe it's a feature piece, maybe investigative. She's going to a location and telling a story, and then she's working on some of the text components that are often part of our multimedia stories. 
And the rest of the pieces we are commissioning from writers or photographers. And we've done a couple pieces with film um, from directors who are outside of our own team, but we work very collaboratively. So they might be going out there and shooting it, but we may do some of the editing in-house or we're working in the post-production stages. So a third is produced in-house and the rest is commissioned. And we have you know, usually a bunch of ideas that we think are going to be interesting for each issue. And then our editors start researching who are writers or photographers um, or potential interviewees we think are going to be a good fit. And then that process is also very collaborative. Usually we approach them with an idea. Maybe it's even specific. Um, and then usually it's a conversation between uh, that writer or an artist. And then they'll come back and be like, well, how about this? And then we'll come back and you know, finally settle on a... On a, on a story and they you know we have a long lead time for our stories uh, as you can see you know our, our content's all long form you know so our, almost off, I think rarely do we publish less than 4,000 words for, for an essay so we, we give ourselves time to both develop the ideas have our writers and artists work on them and then have that editorial back and forth when they've got that draft so it's, it's definitely a, a, a good mix anyone who's seen Emergence magazine will know it's really impressive it's a big thick slab of very beautiful printing you can hear just from the description that you're giving the 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 size of the undertaking with this thing how do you do this how how do you how do you manage to make this happen where you're you know producing around like a third of it yourselves but you're commissioning the rest out that's a difficult thing to do it's an expensive thing to do how, how do you make all of this fit together so we're actually in a very unique position um, that this publication is an initiative of a foundation based in Northern California and a foundation who has a mission which is very similar to the ethos behind Emergence which is reconnecting ecology, culture, and spirituality. And so they um, have been around about 25 years. Calliopeia Foundation is their name. And they do a lot of traditional grant making in a lot of fields that are connected to what we're exploring editorially and approached them a few years back and said, you know, what about actually developing a magazine as a way to communicate these values and ideas? And they were on board. And, um, you know, so it gives us a lot of freedom. We're very lucky in that respect. Then, for instance, our online edition is free, freely accessible, and it's ad-free. Um, so that alone gives us a very different palette to work with. Our print edition is, uh, you know, obviously... Uh, something you have to buy um, but it's not overly expensive for what we're offering it's $25 which sounds high but you know basically at the end of the day with our print edition if we break even we're in a good position so we're not in this from money making uh, venture we're really trying to support the myth in a foundation and try to do it in the right way you know uh, which is time quality for craftsmanship and we believe in supporting the artists and community that we're a part of so we're in the position where we can pay people and we want to pay people properly because we know how much work is involved and the other thing we're trying to do as a publication is not only think about what we're doing in terms of the output of the stories that we're telling and how they appear in print or in online but also trying to support a creative community of writers artists thinkers storytellers who are all interested in this subject matter you know we're not you know, the only publication which is exploring this theme. Um, there are a lot of writers out there who are trying to find ways to tell these stories in interesting ways, document what's happening at this very tumultuous moment. And we want to give them a platform 
to not only publish the work, but to think deeply about the work and to spend four months thinking about an essay or going somewhere to explore what's happening in somewhere in the world and have a place that they can publish it where their voice will be you know, respected. They will be going through the editorial process their work deserves because I really believe that will have a ripple effect on the broader community of artists and writers and storytellers working in these fields. And so I guess maybe that comes round to the question of why print? Because, again, earlier when you were talking, and you know, you've got this quarterly thing that's online and you know, you're doing a great job with that. The question immediately comes up of, so why print? So, so why go to do this? But when you talk about making something for a community suddenly with print you start to get that kind mm-hmm. of the physical uh, object. It's the, a thing that you can hand to somebody and say, that, and this is what we've made. One of the you know, key uh, things we think about emergence all the time is uh, the pace of what we want to do. Like, not just, let's say, you know, slow storytelling, yes, like you want to t- tell stories that force people to slow down, but the pace in which you produce a story, giving it the time, the pace which you listen to it, the way you read it and whatnot, and as, you know, slow consumption, you know, is, is, is this guiding principle. And as much as we're trying to do that online and we're trying to create a space, you know, aesthetically, you know, not being afraid to publish 10,000 words and say, here you go, right? Um, and and encourage people to step away from this fast-paced way of interacting on the web. You know, as much as we're doing that online, and I think we're doing it pretty well, you know, we've got a lot to grow with and and, and learn from, no doubt, but we feel like we're on the right track there. There's no way you can ever replace the feeling of holding something in your hand. Because even if you're slowing down online, you're on a device or a computer which is designed not to be a place where you slow down or you're going to do 10 things if you want to but if you've got a book sitting in your lap open and you looking at that you immediately step into a different world and so it was always imperative for us that we wanted to have a print publication that was part of what we did and also because you know as much as i hope that we're around online in many years to come the web is ephemeral you know, a server goes down and you're gone. You know, you what happened? Things change. There's no publication. But a magazine, or and we're really thinking of it as much as a book as a magazine. If you pick it up and hold your hands, it's an art book. You know, being called a magazine, that maybe it's around on someone's shelf in 20, 30, 40 years. And all the stories that we publish online and in print are all evergreen. They may be talking about what's happening now, but they're never tied to a news cycle. So we, that's another thing we think about editorially. The story that we publish today it has to be relevant in five years. And so we wanted to have something that would capture that and that would be something you could hold in your hands and that you could understand there's a different way to experience a story. Just in the way that if you watch a film on your phone, it's very different than if you watch it on your big screen TV at home. And it's a completely different experience if you watch it in the cinema with 30 people. Print is the same thing. You know, you read a story on your phone, you're scrolling. Sit down in an armchair with a book or a magazine and you engage with it. It's a very different way to experience a story. And I, I remember when I got the first copy of the print edition and back from the printers and I sat down with it, you know, I was like, God, I hope we don't have any mistakes in here, right? <laughs> but the other thing is I read a story and I was amazed at how different it was to experience a story that we knew so well editorial because we've gone through all these stages of it. Just sit there and read it, turning pages. 
And it returns you to something very kind of simple and fundamental about what it means to be human. We've been using paper and telling stories of paper for a long time. Before that, we told stories that you had to, you know, heavier things to turn. But we have this thing inside of us, this innate thing, where we look at an object with words on it, and we can connect to it in such a different way. So it sounds like uh, everybody needs a Calliopeia Foundation. Is it, is it Calliopeia? <laughs> Calliopeia, yeah. I mean, the, that obviously brings you a huge amount of freedom. Are there uh, certain, I guess, certain things that they're looking for f- in order for this project to have succeeded and for them to carry on with it? Or is it, is it really much freer than that? You know, we have editorial independence, um, from the foundation and you know they're huge supporters of, of the way we're going about doing things and and it's something interesting that we're actually at this place where we're trying to think about what success actually means for us and you know I don't think success means the number of visits that we have to uh, the website or how many copies of the publication that are sold they're part of how we're evaluating what we're doing because obviously we could have great content if no one's reading it no one's buying it then there's a problem um, but it's something we're thinking about, like actually how do you evaluate the impact of a story? I think it's something that's really hard, you know, and in my background as a documentary filmmaker, that was always part of the conversation you had. Well, you've made a film about, you know, climate change and you're bringing to an audience uh, an issue, uh, a way of looking at an issue they hadn't seen before. Is it going to change them? Is it going to change their way of buying things? Are they going to go out and buy, you know, a, a much more sustainable product as a result sure maybe that's part of it but it's a very simplistic way of looking about the impact of a story because a story works on you in very different ways and the power of storytelling is it can shift perspective change consciousness take you from one reality to another that's why we love storytelling and to try to say well a successful story is one that you can quantify according to this data and the world of data we now live in i think is very limiting so as a foundation, actually, they understand that. And much of what they work with is actually saying, you know, we need, one of the problems with the way we function in the world is we function according to these kind of very masculine, data-driven ways of evaluating success. And, and it's really hard to know what the impact of is a story in an immediate sense. If it's tied to a news cycle, you're trying to bring awareness to a certain issue, you can do that. You can be like, oh, this has happened. But if you're talking about, like, something that's really big and we're trying to take on big issues you read some of those stories and that story you cited from the beginning about Camille Dungy it's actually looking at a huge issue which has started to come to light in America more and more and people are willing thank goodness to start to talk about it which is the incredible amount of racism we have in our country that story may be something that is part of many other stories that that then help shift you know so it's like but how do you evaluate that it's very hard. You're one of many. And I think that's the important thing that storytellers who are driven to try to tell stories to benefit how we want to relate to each other on a human level, societal level, with our planet. We're, we're, we're all working together, even if we don't know that we are. And so how do you evaluate this ripple effect of the way your work you know, bounces off each other? I don't think you can. And how do you evaluate the, you know, like I was saying earlier, giving a writer or an artist space to express themselves. Maybe that leads to them going down a different direction in their career, which leads to something else. And five years later, they're showing work at some gallery, which is then getting a tremendous amount of attention, which then is, again, one of those pieces which is shifting culture at a certain time. This has happened for hundreds of years. This is what artists have done. And they come together at key moments 
and they've, you know, whether you're talking about the salons in Paris or you're talking about, you know, the many examples this has existed, those collection of storytellers, artists, writers, now filmmakers, virtual reality artists, multimedia makers, they are incredibly powerful tools of transformation. And I don't think we can quantify what they're doing. So we try to, instead of think about success on any sort of data-driven level, but more about like, are people touched in a meaningful way by the work that we're doing? Do we hear back from people in a way that says, we're doing something right? And that's something we're just beginning to, 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 to get. And, and, and we want to learn from that and respond accordingly. So the first um, issue um, came out, how long ago was this now? The first print edition came out in September. Okay, so the first issue out in September, and that was building on the first year of the magazine online. Yeah. So I think you said you've just done issue six online. Yeah, yeah. So the first print edition was maybe what we call maybe some of the best of work that came out of the first four issues, the first year of emergence. Uh, we've just done two other issues, an issue on language, an issue on food. We're publishing an issue on trees in February, and then Apocalypse. Um, the end is coming uh, <laughs> in, in June of next year. And so we'll be taking the best of the stories from those four issues and compiling them into volume two of our print edition. Wow. Well, it is, um, it's a seriously impressive um, magazine. So thank you very much for sending it in, first of all, uh, and really good luck with the, the next one that you're making. Thank you so much, Stephen. It's such a pleasure to talk with you. Okay, that's all for this week. I'd like to say thanks again to Emmanuel for stopping in to speak to me about what they're doing. And if you want to see it all for yourself, you can go to emergencemagazine.org and browse through the six online issues that are there as I record this. Or, of course, you can buy that lovely thick print magazine and get the much slower experience he was talking about. I'm recording this on the 29th of November, which means we're now fully focused on the stressful job of selling Christmas subscriptions. So I want to take a minute to tell you about the offer we're running until the 17th of December. Just go to stackmagazines.com forward slash Christmas and you can give Stack as a gift and choose a free magazine to start the subscription. We've got some brilliant titles for you to choose from. So you can pick the ideal magazine for someone you know, and then we'll carry on from January sending them our selection of surprise magazines. We've got some great titles lined up for 2020, so I hope you'll keep us in mind when you're buying your gifts this year. Okay, thank you very much for listening to this one, and we'll be back with another episode next week.